Well, I welcome all of you to the North Richland Hills campus of the Hills on another very rainy weekend. And I welcome all of you who watch online every week. Thank you for joining us. And I just have to begin by saying, church, I'm so proud of you. Your response to Renew Weekend was incredible. A million dollars given in one week just to give away to help people. It is a joy to be at a church where people find joy in helping people. And so I just want to say, well done. And uh, if you want to be a part of Renew and haven't yet, there's still that chance for you. Also at our church, we're trying to read one million chapters of the Bible collectively this year. And I love going online, posting my chapters and reading the comments of people who are getting such a blessing by becoming regular Bible readers. Now, we've read over 300,000 chapters together, and that's awesome, but we're not on pace. We could make our goal if I could get every adult in our church just to read one chapter a day. So if you haven't started, I want to encourage you. But I hear from a lot of people, oh, I'm reading my Bible. I just haven't gone online and posted my chapters. Well, let me encourage you to do that. Just get in the habit and add a comment yourself. If you don't like to mess with the internet, just go out to the Welcome Center and grab a card, write down your name and how many chapters you read, and we will post it for you. But as you share with others the blessing that you get from reading the Bible, you actually become a blessing to them. So let me encourage you to do that. So this is the week every year when the PGA, the Professional Golf Association, comes to Fort Worth for an annual tournament called the Colonial Invitational. Now, if you have listened to me preach for very long, you know that I am an avid golfer. I'm not a particularly good golfer, but I really do like to play. And some years ago, I got the privilege of a lifetime. I was given an opportunity to play in the Pro-Am at the Colonial. Now, the Pro-Am is an event before the tournament starts where people like me get to play on the course on the other side of the ropes with a golf pro. And I got to do that. Now, I was nervous because, as I mentioned, I'm not a great golfer. And the worst part of my golf game is what they call bunker or sand shots. And it's total mental weakness, okay? I've played enough golf by now. I should be able to hit that shot. Uh, I have enough hand-eye coordination, but I also have a strong memory of all the times I failed to hit it and mental weakness takes over. So my game plan for the Pro-Am was just don't go in a bunker. And God heard my pleas for six holes. And then on the seventh hole, with a hundred people up in the stands, I knocked my second shot into a big bunker in front of the green. So deep that when I got in it, all I could see was the top of the flag stick. And I thought to myself, I'm just going to swing hard. And if I don't get out of this bunker, I'm just going to pick up my ball and walk in shame to the next tee. So I swung... The ball took off, I heard a clunk, and then a hundred people jumped up and down and started cheering wildly. I knocked the ball on the fly into the hole. I have never made a sand shot in my life until that moment. So, knowing the truth about my game. Did I smile sheepishly and shrug my shoulders and say, that was so lucky? Are you kidding me? I strutted up to that green like, well, of course it went in the hole. That's what I was trying to do. Because applause 
can be captivating. Meaning, applause can take you captive. And when you live for the applause of the crowd, you can soon find yourself in a very crowded prison. So we're in this series called Alive and Free. And the premise is that the death and resurrection of Jesus did not just enable us to come out of the grave of our sins, but to get out of our grave clothes and experience the freedom that we should be knowing in Christ. And we asked you to name an area in your life where you want more freedom. And we got over 2,000 cards turned in. And we have prayed over every single card every single week. And I tried to look at some common themes in these cards. And there were five themes that have showed up more than any other. The fifth most common theme was anger and bitterness. We talked about bitterness a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to talk about anger in a couple of weeks. Because some of you are saying, I'm tired of living in bondage to toxic attitudes. The fourth most common area was greed and financial bondage. We talked about greed last week, and there was so much feedback in this area that I think I'm going to do some more teaching later this year because Jesus said clearly, either you master money for God's purposes or money will become your master. The third area was sexual sin. And I'm still processing how to deal with that. It's more that can be handled in one single sermon. So pray for me as God leads me to decide how we're going to address some of those questions in the future. The second area I expected, and I thought it would have been number one, fear and worry. And a lot of you honestly admitted, I struggle with anxiety. I feel in bondage because there's so much of life I can't control. And we're going to talk about that. But the area that was turned in the most, I did not anticipate. The area and the struggle of self-worth. And so many of you said, I suffer from low self-esteem. I feel inadequate And in particular, I'm a people pleaser. I am tired of living in bondage to what other people think I should be. The Bible calls this the fear of man. And when you read the phrase fear of man in the Bible, it's not talking about afraid they may physically harm you. It's talking about living for their approval instead of for God's. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. Now, we don't use the word snare very much. Another translation says that fearing people is a dangerous trap. It will put you in bondage. Another translation says, being afraid of people can get you into trouble. And we all know this is true. And one translation just bluntly says, don't fall into the trap of being a coward. 
You cannot live free as long as you let others decide who you will be. People pleasing is bondage. But let's be honest. Who among us has not felt the weight of that chain? Because everybody struggles with approval addiction. We all have an overwhelming desire to be accepted by others. Or to put it another way, we really like to be liked. And in fact, the desire to be liked is so overwhelming in us, it often trumps the desire to be right. A university a few years ago did some research on this very question. They put 10 students in a room and a teacher would walk in and draw three lines on the board. One was very long, one was average length, and one was very short. And the test was simple. Hold up your hand when the teacher points to the longest line. But what the 10th student didn't know is that the other nine were in on the test and had been told to hold up their hand when the teacher pointed to the second longest line. So the 10th student would come in, the teacher would point to what was clearly the longest line, and their hand would go up. And then they would look around the room and see that no one else's hand was up. And 75% of the time, the young person would pull their hand back down. We're talking first graders up through seniors in high school. They would rather be accepted than be right. Now let that statement sink in. That's how strong approval addiction is. And it comes at a high price. The pressure we feel to conform our values according to the latest opinion poll of what most people think. The unwillingness we often have to risk intimacy. I put on pretense and don't let you know who I really am for fear you will reject me. And so relationships stay on the surface. And with that comes eroding self-esteem. Because how can I feel good about myself when I know deep down I'm a faker and I don't have the courage to stop? And then, of course, there's just that waning willpower to stand with the few against the many. Because being right is more important than being accepted. So many of our what was I thinking moments that we look back on were in fact motivated by a desire to influence what other people were thinking about us. And so the man who's in bondage to debt and has become a workaholic 
is motivated by the desire to have other people think he is a success. And how many young ladies have compromised their sexual purity because they wanted someone else's approval? Can you look back in your past and think of a time when you laughed at racist or homophobic humor? And now you think, what was I thinking? Well, probably in that moment, what you were thinking was everybody else is laughing and I want to fit in. Now, those examples are pretty safe, so let's get out on the edge a little bit. What about drinking? alcohol and just so you'll know I do not drink alcohol neither does my wife and when we got married almost all of our Christian friends did not drink either now almost all of our Christian friends do and I do not think it's wrong to drink alcohol in fact I think it is wrong to teach that the Bible says it is wrong to drink alcohol so I do not have a problem if you drink alcohol I might have a problem with why you do. Because I have counseled so many families destroyed by alcoholism. And they never say, I started drinking to help more people find Christ. Or because it was so cost effective. They always say I started drinking to impress and fit in with people who looking back on it had no interest in helping me get closer to Jesus and if that's why you drink then there is a problem and it's not alcohol Now, right now, some of you are mad at me. (laughs) And I knew that, and so I prayed this week, Lord, should I even bring up that topic? And the Lord said to me, if you don't, you're a people pleaser. (laughs) So there you go. And you just need to know that even as I talk about the speck, in your eye. I know I have a log in my eye because I am a recovering people pleaser. Most ministers are. Most of us in ministry like people, but we also like to be liked by people. I've always struggled with approval addiction and I have learned that because I like to be liked, I often become somebody I don't like. So I'm in third grade. And my reputation was that I was the smartest kid in class. And I don't know if it was true, but it didn't matter. That was the perception. That was my tag. 
because everybody in class gets put somewhere on the ladder of who's cool and who's not. And my step on the ladder was I'm the smart kid. And we had a young girl in our class at the very bottom of the ladder. Her name was Connie. Connie was not attractive. She was socially awkward. And we called Connie the dumb kid. I bet Connie had learning disorders. But back then we didn't know a lot about that. Our teacher during math time would play a game where she would hold up flashcards and you would stand up next to someone's desk and the first person to get the answer right could go to the next desk and whoever got all the way around the room back to their desk would get a donut. And I won a lot. I was the smart kid. So one day she just says, Rick, we're going to play the game. You start, pick someone. And all my friends looked at me and they all gave me the same look. Don't pick me. What am I going to do? And then I realized there's one person in class everybody can pick on. So I said, I'll start with Connie. And everybody laughed. Because they knew she had no chance and she didn't. So what Connie stood up and I stood by her desk and the teacher turned over the card, and I had the answer before she could even finish reading the question. And everyone laughed louder. And Connie sat down. And I still remember this. She looked up at me, and her face did not say, I hate you. Her face said, Why did you hurt me? I thought you were one of the nice boys. And my desire to be liked made me somebody I didn't like. Most of us are not struggling with being wicked. We're struggling with being wimpy. And where courage is absent, bondage is always present. And here's the sad irony. Nobody wins this game. Nobody wins the people-pleasing race. You will never be happy trying to make people happy. If you have entered the people-pleasing race, all you're doing is running in circles inside the prison. You never escape because this race has no finish line. Because the crowd does not applaud on the basis of grace. The crowd applauds appearance and performance. Are you the prettiest and did you win the most? And no matter how much you run, there is somebody behind you. That is going to pass you someday. And it's just not worth it to run a race you can't win to see if you're worth it. J.R. Vassar was in this Southeast Asian nation and visited this large Buddhist temple. And he said there were these desperately poor 
people bowing in front, giving the last of their money to honor this object of worship. And then he went around the back and there was scaffolding because the big Buddha statue was broken and it was getting repaired. And he thought, how tragic. Broken people are asking a broken Buddha to fix their broken lives even as the broken Buddha is getting fixed. And that's what people-pleasing does. It gets broken people to dance before broken people in a sad attempt to address your own brokenness. It's not worth it to enter a race for other people to affirm your worth. It's bondage and it produces great spiritual damage because here's the reality. Over and over in the Bible, we see that if you're going to please God, sometimes you have to displease the crowd. That sometimes in order to please God, you have to go against the latest opinion poll. Paul wrote the Galatian church some pretty strong words, and he says early in the letter, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people. But of God, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Look at that last sentence one more time. You cannot serve Christ and be a people pleaser. Free people live for an audience of one because only one measures your worth in a way that will bring real freedom. And he has. You don't need to race for your worth because someone has already given it to you. Somebody has proved how much you're worth. Now listen the next 60 seconds. I'm going to teach something that could profoundly Change your life. Most people are in bondage because they live their life for a blessing. What if you lived your life from a blessing? What if worth was given to you before your appearance and performance were even considered. So you didn't have to live seeking affirmation. You lived out of the affirmation you'd already been given. Because this is what God has done. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, Long before He laid down earth's foundations, God had us in mind, and He settled on us as the focus of His love. And when you live in bondage to what other people think, of you, the blessing of knowing what God thinks of you is forfeited. But other people are not experts on your worth. Only God is. Now let me illustrate it this way. I hold before you now maybe the world's ugliest teddy bear. His name is Tim. He's been Tim as long as I can remember because Tim is my teddy bear. 
and he's ugly. I mean, his nose is bent in. One of his eyes doesn't move anymore. The back has been sewn together several times because he keeps falling apart. And when I was a senior in high school, my parents were moving to another town, and my mother had a garage sale. And I came home from school and went out to the garage sale, and there on the table was Tim with a post-it note that said 25 cents. (laughs) And I picked up Tim, and I found my mother. And for the first time in my life, I called her to repentance. (laughs) And I let her know that Tim was not to be sold to anybody for any price at any time. Because Tim's worth was not for other people to determine. The one who owned him and loved him gives him his value. And the same is true of you. And God doesn't just proclaim your worth. God has proven it. Romans 5, 8 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Right now, you are deciding your worth either by determining what other people think of you or by determining what God thinks of you. When you become convinced that you matter to God, suddenly it doesn't matter what other people think. The love of God will crowd out the need to get applause from the crowd. And when you know who you are, you also know Who you don't have to be for somebody else. And you can leave the prison of other people's expectations. And it is so liberating to be so conscious of the approval of God. That no one can tell you how to live. Or... Who to love. Because you see, anybody freed by love can love anybody. Now Jesus made it clear that what God expects is not that complicated. Love God. Love people. But here's the deal. You can not Be a lover and a pleaser. Because applause is always conditional. Applause is never based on grace. And so if you live for applause, you cannot love God and love people. But when you leave the prison of people pleasing, you are free to give unearned and undeserved and unconditional 
love because you are not loving people for their approval. You are loving people out of God's approval. John put it this way. We love because he first loved us. We're loving from our blessing, not for our blessing. And that is so freeing. And isn't that, by the way, how Jesus loved people? Jesus could love everybody. Because Jesus didn't care what anybody thought. And so they could say, Jesus, she's got a bad reputation. It would hurt your popularity to love her. I don't care what people think. But Jesus, he's a traitor to his own nation. I don't care what the opinion poll says. But Jesus, they're not the right color and the right race. You see, it didn't matter to Jesus. He could love everybody because he didn't care what anybody thought. He was so conscious of the approval of God. He knew he was beloved. And so he could love without condition and regardless of whether or not anybody applauded. And we can be that free. So I'm in high school. For reasons I can't go into, I had to start school before the state said I was legally old enough to start. So I was always the youngest person in my class. At the end of my ninth grade year, some of my friends are already getting their driver's licenses. By my sophomore year, all my classmates had their driver's licenses. I start my junior year in high school, and I'm not 16 yet. And you know in high school that you get a certain little bump up the cool ladder when you get a car. So I was very eager to finally get a car. And my dad helped me and we put together $600 and I got an old Chevy. And I am so pumped because tomorrow I am going to drive to school like everybody else. And my cool factor is going to rise. Up the street from me was a boy named Daryl. Daryl was the Connie of my high school. He was a socially awkward boy. Nerd was the nicest thing he ever got called. And it was never out of bounds to pick on Daryl. He had the pocket protector and the glasses with the tape. And as soon as he got on the bus in the morning... The kids let him have it. Imagine every day before you even get to school, your self-esteem is shattered. See, here's what a lot of people didn't know. Daryl's father was an alcoholic and a mean man. And the abuse he got every day at school was nothing like the abuse he got at home. And so, there's a knock on the door. 
And I open the door, and it's Daryl. Rick, is that your car? Yeah. Are you going to drive it to school tomorrow? Yeah. Can I have a ride? And in an instant, my mind knew that if I give Daryl a ride to school, my cool factor goes down a notch. And then I looked at him and I realized Daryl wasn't asking me for a ride. He was asking me for a rescue. Sure, Daryl, I'll give you a ride to school. And I did. Every day, my junior year, we actually became friends. He was actually a pretty nice guy. It's after school that summer. I'm in the backyard and I hear this noise coming up the alley. And there is this old clunker making the way up the street. And it stops. And Daryl gets out. Rick, I got a car. And I wanted you to be the first person to see it. And I didn't understand anything then about the Holy Spirit. All I can tell you is that for the first time in my life, I tangibly felt the well done of God. Can you hear it? Heaven is applauding. God is crazy about you. He loves you so much, and it would be so liberating if you could embrace that love and live like you're valued and treat people out of your blessing. It will set you free. And so, Father, I'm praying over the church now the prayer of Paul in Ephesians 3 that you would help us to understand how high and how wide and how long and how deep your love is. And God, help that understanding to make the longest, hardest move of all from our head to our heart. For Jesus' sake, amen. Please stand. Upstairs, downstairs, prayer warriors will take their place. I want to ask you just to receive the love of God. And sometimes it helps to receive God's love if someone else can be a channel of that love to you. So maybe someone praying for you or just talking or giving you a hug 
would help you to receive the love of God. And maybe you're ready to confess Jesus and be baptized into Him, into the community of the beloved. This is your time to receive the blessing while we thank God for His faithfulness.